Hey, welcome to Tangible Takeaways, episode 34. I'm Jackson, and today I'm going to talk about how fake people meet fake Jesus, and a real relationship with Jesus starts with being real with ourselves. And my name is Kurt, and I'm going to talk about how often we try to pay for our own sins rather than letting Jesus do his job. We try to take his job away from him. That's good. All that and more on this episode of Tangible Takeaways. Hey, welcome to Tangible Takeaways, episode 34. We're back. We're We're in the new year. We're back. Kurt, happy to have you on. It's great being here, Jackson. It's going to be... Loving this. Yeah, it's good. It's good to be back, and it's a good time to be back, too. We're in our uh, What Matters Most series, mm-hmm. which we're looking at uh, this be- this kind of end of the Gospel of John, where we've got the beginning of this upper room discourse that's yeah. happening with Jesus, and he, uh, 11 guys now as he kicks Judas out of the room right at the beginning, yeah. and it's this really um, important discussion. It's an important conversation, um, and it speaks a lot to uh, life after Jesus, Mm -hmm. right? Life after Jesus's resurrection and ascension. And so let's just start with, as we're going to be in this series now for a little bit, going through this kind of conversation, what's so significant about these final chapters in the Gospel of John? Yeah, when you read through John, all the Gospels, you just get the sense that everywhere Jesus went, because he was God in human flesh, they all want to talk to him. Everyone yeah. wanted to be with him. And this is that moment, it seems like, where it's deeply personal, and there's no crowds. Mm. There's no one pressing in on them. They have this alone time. And I think there's a, a uniqueness to that in this moment where Jesus says, I've got you to myself, mm. and I'm going to share things with you that I don't share with everyone because they're not ready to hear it, perhaps. Yeah. But I want you to hear it because this is super important. And so mm. I think part of it is just that that personal nature. There's a lot of emotion in this story. Mm. In, in these last you know seven chapters of John, there's emotion in the room. There's just a lot of, of, of drama. Mm. And I think it's kind of wrapping up that story and it makes it really compelling. And for me, that's one of the big things. I think the second thing is that it's deeply practical. Mm. I mean, Jesus has been talking about kingdom stuff and all these ideas that are so amazing, but here he really touches on things that are like, how is this going to change for you? Like you're mentioning, yeah. I'm going to leave. How is it going to be different? And I think it's, it's amazing because the very, from what we can tell, it's the first extended expression of him explaining who the Holy Spirit is mm. and the Holy Spirit's role in their life, which when Jesus disappears, they're going to understand quickly. We need it's help. Be pretty important. We need help soon, and yeah. so I think God just through, through our Savior Christ, there was explaining a little bit in those very practical ways to the guys, and I just think that the personalness and then the practicalness of that, I think it was really makes it unique in the Bible. Yeah, yeah, it's super true, and even this conversation on the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. I, it's got to be hands down the most in depth chapter by chapter teaching on the Holy Spirit that we get anywhere else. And what I think is so cool about it is here's Jesus talking about what life is going to be like in the church Mm -hmm. after he ascends and isn't here anymore. Mm -hmm. And like, that's pretty important for us today where we live, where (laughs) Jesus isn't here right now. And we're in the church age and we're trying to figure it out. And we get great teaching and conversations and letters from guys like Paul and Mm -hmm. Peter about what it looks like to operate in the church that are maybe even a little bit more specific and practical, but like how much more would we want to lean into Jesus's teaching on what Mm -hmm. life is going to be like once he's gone? Totally. And, and that idea, Jackson, I love it because 
how many would people would actually believe it's going to be better if he goes away? Yeah. He's going to, he says, I'm going to go away. And if I go away, it's actually for your benefit. And I don't think anyone in that room would ever believe it unless Jesus is the one to have said that. And so mm -hmm. if some other person came and said, hey, Jesus is gone, is actually better for you. I'm not sure how much Nobody traction, would buy that. No, how much traction it would have, but Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna go away, and if I go away, it's gonna be better because the Holy Spirit's gonna come and not just be with you, but be in you. Mm. And that's so powerful that I think that was one of those moments where he had to be there in that room, in a quiet place, yeah. and share just his heart with them so they, they really heard him. Yeah, yeah, and you could imagine, I mean, the emotion in the room I think is important to remember mm -hmm. throughout this entire conversation that even though Jesus has been saying, I mean, if you read the Gospel of John, Jesus has been saying it from the beginning. Yeah. I'm I'm going, I'm going to die. I, I lay down my life for the sheep is in right. John chapter 10. I mean, it's almost like at a certain point, you're like, how have you guys how not gotten this picture yeah, you're at not all? That. And they're shocked when he says, I'm going to a place that you can't follow. And naturally they're like, well, we wanna be where you are. And even right. all of these expectations that they have of who Jesus is supposed to be as right. a political leader, as a king, as somebody who's going to come in and take out Rome and reestablish Israel and Jerusalem and all of these things, all these expectations they have. And now he's like, I'm going to die. Yeah. Like, and I'm going to do it willingly. That's a... It's huge. There's a lot of emotion there in the room as they're well, talking. Because you have that personal side, you have the practical side, but there's the theological side where they couldn't figure out how his plan fit into what their thinking was about the kingdom. Mm. And so I think even in this room, even though it's really practical stuff in John all the way through the end of the gospel, there's deep theology to say, hey guys, this has been the plan all along, I hear you saying, yeah. and it's working perfectly. Yeah. And I think that's huge. We're right where we're supposed to be. Right where this we're supposed to be. This isn't an accident. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then as we kind of look over the message from this weekend, um, just a, a great identification of kind of some of the bookends in this chapter of, um, you know, even the term Jesus is directing traffic all the way. Um, like as he's directing traffic, Judas leaves the room, ends up leaving the room, and yeah. there's a foreseen betrayal. Um, but then there's also the, we end uh, our section in the message this weekend with uh, this foreseen denial by Peter as well. And so you have betrayal from Judas, yeah. denial by Peter. Um, Jesus interacts with them in very similar ways, in very mm -hmm. loving ways to both of them. Um, the same as all the other guys who are not foreseen to do either of these things. Yeah. Um, but then he also, um, each of those guys, I think they experience something that we've felt often in our walk with Jesus that to, f to follow Jesus is to fail Jesus, you know? Yeah. But we also see their lives take drastically different trajectories upon betrayal and denial. So uh, talk about that a little bit. Like, what is it, uh, that process in following Jesus that we will ultimately fail him at different points in our walk? And how, what's the path back? Yeah, I, that's so good. This story for me, Jackson's almost funny. Hmm. It's sad and it's poignant, but there's a humor to it a little bit because of the failure that in the midst when Jesus says, one of you is gonna betray me, no one looked and said, oh, it's gotta be Judas. Yeah. He blended in with all of them because I think they all could have seen themselves failing him. Mm. And there was this understanding of who is it? And they're trying to figure it out. And it's the person I give the bread to. <laughs> they're sitting there almost more like, I hope it's not me. I know, is it me, is it me? You know, I know I can, I've dropped the ball already. I mean, yeah. you, you can think of the disappointment they've had in the room already. And, and yet, I think the beauty of Christ is that he is so loving that they couldn't pick out who it was. Hmm. It wasn't like everyone said, look at Jesus called out jo Judas, you know. Yeah. It was just very subtle. And he, 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 he let John know by handing him the bread that he had dipped in the wine. Yeah. And there was 
that clarity for him, but everyone else who kind of in the dark, the Bible says they're like, who is it me? And they're trying to figure it out. And Jesus's kindness is so amazing there Yeah. that even in the midst of his hurt and what he knew Judas was going to do to him, right in the middle of that, he still loved him. Yeah, nobody could say in the room like, well, Jesus has been getting kind of distant with Judas over right. the past couple months. Like it might be like nobody was thinking that. Right. And there was the intimacy that that moment, again, we just talked about the emotion in that room that you'd probably pick up if there was an agenda or an ax to grind or a frustration. And Jesus didn't turn that into anything noticeable. There was mm -hmm. nothing there to be seen. And, and that's, I think, the interesting thing of Peter and that other side of that is here you have a denial. And like you just said, you know, Jesus didn't show himself distancing himself from Judas. He loved him. And I think in the interesting, Peter is going to distance himself from yeah. Jesus through his denial. Because that's what it is. When you say, I don't know someone, you back off and say, I don't want to be recognized with you. Yeah. And that's the exact opposite of what Jesus would want in any relationship. Yeah. Is somehow we become distant from him because he came to bring us close. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like Judas is already there. That distance is already there. He's made up his mind on the decision right. to betray Jesus. Peter hasn't, but Jesus is saying, you're going to, like, mm -hmm. you're going to get there where the cost is going to seem too great for you to be associated with me. Yeah. And you're going to distance yourself. And even still, you can see now on display, oh, well, Jesus wasn't surprised. That almost shows you retroactively. Jesus wasn't surprised by the Judas thing. Right. He's also not surprised by what Peter's going to do. Yet he still continues to demonstrate love towards them, Yeah. which I think can feel so challenging for us when we fail. I. I, th I think if most of us are honest, we'd prefer that God got really like furious with us and really mm -hmm. almost just kind of beat it over our heads because that's kind of what we do to ourselves. And there's a part of us that just wishes God would be like really harsh with us. Mm -hmm. and, like that's what we desire. But Jesus extends such great, I mean, he washes both of these guys' feet right. before any of this conversation even starts. Like mm -hmm. that's where he starts is just by loving them and serving them. Like why does, why does God operate that way? with us in our sin when it feels like, I don't know, maybe I might get the picture better if he beat me over the head with it. Yeah, I, I do think there's a core where we want to pay for our own sin. Mm. We want him to lambast us and yell at us and say how terrible we are because then it feels like we're paying the weight for our own disappointment of him. Yeah. And I think that makes it simpler. Mm. Um, somehow it puts it in our camp. We control then the, the narrative like, oh, God got mad at me and he's yelling at me. Okay, I, I'll, I'll, I'll wear that. But when he shows love to us, how do we respond to that? And you're just, it's confusing. Mm. I mean, even jumping ahead and further than the gospel, I mean, I think it's interesting that when Jesus, uh, when, when Jesus is on trial and Peter makes his final denial, one of the gospels basically says that the crow, which Jesus talks about, you know, the rooster crows. And at that moment, Peter sees and he looks into Jesus's eyes mm. and he runs out. Mm. And it wasn't, I, you don't get the sense of condemnation. Yeah. But boy, that, that, that disappointment and that hurt. Yeah. And I guess for me is I'd rather have a relationship where I want to please someone and not fear them in that way. Yeah. And I think God re comes to us in that level of relationship as his kids and says, I love you. And the last thing I want to do is disappoint someone yeah. that I love. Yeah. And we almost, I think, read so much of that. Uh, of our own guilt and desire to pay mm -hmm. for our sin or our own desire for God to be mad at us over what we've done. We almost read some of that into the text, right. I think unfairly. Mm -hmm. You know, we look at this example of 
Jesus looking at Peter, right? And we might look at that like an, I told you so look, mm -hmm. you know, when Jesus is probably more so extending like, man, I still love you. That's probably yeah. the look that he's giving Peter when Peter's feeling like, oh man, like exactly what he said came to fruition. And what mm -hmm. I think is so interesting is the trajectory from here for mm -hmm. both of these characters, right? Judas ultimately, sometimes we don't even know or really acknowledge what, what happens in his story. He ends up hanging himself in, he realizes the weight of his sin. He ends up killing himself in response to it because he just is so like it weighs on him so much. And then Peter ends up later in this gospel having a pretty uh, difficult conversation with Jesus where he's trying to figure out what his path is forward. And then ultimately ends up becoming this apostle that the church is built upon and his leadership and all of these things, like he really advances the church in the early days. So huge hmm. different huge trajectories yeah. between those two guys. Would you say that that's like based on how they responded to their sin? Like, was there a path back for Judas had he sought Jesus yeah, out and repented or things like that? Like, was it because of that interaction that Peter had or was it something different that led to a different yeah. trajectory for both of them? Wow, that's a great question. I, I think what's interesting is you, what you described as both of them had become distant from, from Jesus for different reasons, for different actions that they did. They both became distant and what would require them to come back to him is repentance. Mm. And I think that's what's interesting is I look at Judas and I look at Peter and both of them had an opportunity. Mm. Both of them were both aware of their sin. Yeah. I mean, Judas yeah. was remorseful <laughs> and he didn't know what to do with that. And yet the submission of I was wrong and I need to make it right somehow was missing in Judas. Mm. And I think Judas, Peter had, had, had enough of those moments maybe in life where he had yeah, he's been putting his foot in his mouth right. the entire gospel already. Well, and I think in his heart, Peter never wanted to be where Jesus wasn't. Mm. I mean, wash all of me. Yeah. God, I want all of you. Yeah. I mean, when he's in the water. Give me the extremist yeah. version. If it's you, Jesus, call me out, the boat, out of the boat and I'll walk on the water to you. Everything was this, I want to be where you're at. You know, even in Caesarea Philippi later, you know, when, when Jesus says, who do people say that I am, you know, and... You know, he, he describes and, and Peter nails this truth. Yeah. And in that whole story, even in the context, he's, you know, he says, are you going to leave me? Mm. And he says, well, who else has the words of eternal life? Yeah. So Jesus, Peter, I think, always had this sense of Jesus is where I want to be. Mm. And Judas, you don't get that as much. Yeah. And so I do think there's a, at their core, there might have just been this sense where Peter always longed to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah. And maybe Judas, we even read that he kind of stole money from the pocketbooks of the of the disciples. There might have been an ulterior motive in there for him. Yeah. But I do think that's part of the story is that Peter at some point said, if I I can't exist if I'm not with Jesus. So what's it going to take yeah. to bridge this gap? And for him, it was repentance and finding forgiveness from Christ and then finding the restoration from that. Yeah. And what's even interesting in Judas's story, you talk about this desire that we have to want to pay the debt for our own sin. Mm -hmm. It seems like that's almost what Judas says. Like, man, I've sinned, I've messed up, but I, now I got to take it into my own hands. I got to do something about mm -hmm. it. And he ends up killing himself to try to pay for what he's done, right? Where he, that's almost just a fundamental denial of exactly who Jesus is, exactly our need for him. Right. And what is interesting about Peter is I think if you look 
at his example throughout any of the gospel accounts, he's kind of like just a fumbling toddler through everything. He's really um, brazen and excited and yeah. he just wants to like run full steam ahead, but he ends up tripping over his feet all the time. And so there's always there's always egg on his face, right? He's always made a mistake in some way, shape mm -hmm. or form and kind of gone a little bit too far, been a little bit too extreme. And in that, Peter has experienced the forgiveness of Jesus over and over and over and over again. And so when he fails Jesus again, it almost becomes natural to seek Jesus again, yeah. because that's his story, is failing Jesus mm -hmm. and coming back and finding restoration again. And I almost think there's this sense of, in some ways you could look at some of the other disciples and say, maybe there's distance there because they're not willing to take the step. They're not willing to look like a dummy when they fail and they mess right. up and they get it wrong. And because they're not willing to, they don't know the depths of forgiveness that yeah. Jesus has, which Peter knows deeply and intimately yeah. at this point. And probably don't understand really the person of who Christ is. Mm. Because when you look at Judas goes and hangs himself, ultimately somehow he thinks the giving of his own life is sufficient to save him. Yeah. And Peter, you never get the sense, I think you always see his inadequacies where somehow he knew Jesus was the answer to all of his problem and ultimately to his salvation. Yeah. And in those two characteristics, you know, Judas says, I'm going to take my own life and, and that'll be enough to get God on my good side maybe. Mm. Or just dealing with the grief. Yeah. But Peter never got to that point because I real I think he didn't see himself in that light and he saw Jesus as someone completely other. Yeah. That you have to depend upon. Yeah. In every situation. Yeah. And I think it's a great example between these two guys for us. It's a great reminder to how we view repentance. Yeah. Like we shouldn't view repentance as this like obligatory thing or like I got caught and like here's my, yeah. you know, yeah. you got me. Like yeah. we shouldn't look at repentance. We should look at repentance as like a a joyous opportunity to get to come back to the Lord again, to get to be uh, restored into right relationship only through what he's done. And, and to see it as, a, I think when we truly get in a rhythm of repentance in our life, that's actually, that's discipleship. That's growing us yeah. every time, because it's hard. Like yeah. the conversation that we're gonna read later in the Gospel of John between Jesus and Peter is like, Jesus doesn't let Peter run from anything, you know? And Peter wants to, in some ways he feels, he has such shame about what he's done. He wants to take a lesser role. And Jesus keeps calling him to more yeah. and saying like, no, no, no. I don't just want you to like kind of be involved. I want you to deeply care for my church. Well, I want you to love them. And this is in every relationship. I, it's so true in our faith with Walk With Christ, but you look at a friendship or even a marriage, when there is a conflict and something has did something wrong, is it either to distance yourself or to define repentance. Mm. We run away from the solution because the repentance hurts. Yeah. But ultimately through repentance, we regain relationship, which then restores purpose. And your marriage or your friendship or whatever it is, exactly. it's deeper it's because of it. It's much deeper. Yeah. But we don't like that because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think that's the Judas and Peter element where Peter went through very uncomfortable times yeah. trying to get restored by Christ Yeah. And, and finding that grace in that moment. But at the end, he became that that man that became a rock of our church. Yeah. And Judas chose the other path and said, I don't, I'm not going to fight for that. I don't want to submit to repentance. Yeah. Just too hard. Yeah. What I'll tell young adults sometimes is I think that when we're fake with Jesus, we end up following fake Jesus. 
which yeah. in some ways I think is what Judas is doing, yep. right? The whole time Judas, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to get caught stealing from the money bag or whatever yep. it is, right? He's got all, he's got just as many failures as Peter does, mm-hmm. but Peter fails in front of Jesus. Yep. And Judas is always trying to fail behind Jesus' back because he doesn't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be fake with Jesus and pretend that everything's okay, you're going to follow a fake Jesus yeah, because really Jesus wants to get into it. He wants to excavate the stuff that's in us and that's far more painful. It's, we look dumb a lot of the time when it's happening, but it's also, it deepens the relationship. And so you gotta be real about who you are, the failures that you have to start a real relationship with Jesus. Yeah, when you're in that relationship, even at a human level, and you sit in the room and you're looking across the table or across the couch from someone else and you're working through a hard problem. Oh my goodness, that's tough. Yeah. And it, it oftentimes there's tears and oftentimes there is hurt and oftentimes you continue saying things you shouldn't say. Yeah. But when you work through it and actually look for healing and forgiveness and repentance, wow. You know, like you're saying, the depth of relationship is just exponentially grown. Yeah. yeah. And then you get to, in this conversation, you get to this um, this commandment that Jesus gives that will really, in some ways, inform almost kind of the tone of the rest of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, that The new command I give to you, that you'd love one another. Um, and so that you'd be known by the way that you love each other. Yeah. Uh, first, how's that a new commandment, right? <laughs> like, it seems like, okay, that doesn't feel new at all. Yeah. But then I want to talk about, like, how do we actually do that? Because it's maybe a little bit harder than we give it credit for. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think it's a new commandment. I mean, the people that Jesus was talking to had, you know, the Old Testament right here, Leviticus 19, that that same command of love one another is in there. Love love your neighbor. Yeah, as yourself. As yourself. It's right in the text in in Leviticus 19. And so they would have known that. And so there has to be something different that's new than just in chronology. It's not new, yeah, in time. It's not new in time. And I I think for me, Jackson, I look at that and I just think it's a new quality. Mm. It's a new kind of pattern, a new model placed before us because now we have Jesus coming as the God-man uh, God incarnate, God in human flesh, and he begins to model love. Yeah, that is new. Yeah, and the things that he did, even in we read this week, completely weekend, reshaping our understanding of love. But washing disciples' feet that you know are going to deny or betray you—that's a different kind of love. That is yeah. a new command because yeah. that kind of love is so different from what we experience on a regular basis. So I think some of that is that new reality of, wow, this is just, this is unlike anything I've thought about before. Yeah. And I think Jesus changed the template. And it's almost new in some ways too Mm. in emphasis, right? Jesus Mm -hmm. is simplifying, uh, and we've seen him do it before in the gospel. He's simplifying the entire law down to this, right? And so it's it's almost new in some ways too in the clarity that's given of like, here's not 613 new commands I give to you. I give you one new command. And it's the same one you've heard before, but it's you've seen it modeled now in my life, what I mean when I say to love one another, but then also this real kind of laser focused emphasis on loving one another. Deeply practical. Yeah. Deeply practical. I mean, if you look in the upper room, I think he showed his love to them by spending time with them. Yeah. It sounds funny, but that's a way of expressing love to anyone mm. is by investing time in, in your, your your moments with them. And he's going to love them that way. And I mean, Jesus has been doing that for three years, three years backstage past, past to everything. Watch everything that's happening. I yeah. mean, I think he showed love to them. Like, how do you do that? I mean, some of those how-tos are, um, you just think of the disappointment he must have seen regularly with his guys. Like, are you kidding me? You still don't get this? Yeah. And yet patiently 
waiting for them, teaching them, encouraging them. That's love. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I think he just shows them this really cool love relationship where he just says, I've got this guy, so I'm going to hang with you. I'm here for the long haul. Yeah. And there's this love that he has. And even later in, in John's gospel, he talks about, I'm praying for you. Mm. And I think that's such a practical way of showing love for someone is actually talking to the Lord on someone else's behalf. Yeah. Yeah, and, I love and, that. I mean, so so much of this so love many is practical. practical examples you can pull from Jesus's own example to the disciples, right? Mm -hmm. The time that he gives to them, the way that he prays for them, his genuine like concern for them, his like willingness to answer their questions when they ask them. He doesn't like um, you know berate them for their questions and say like, oh, yeah. how dumb of you that you have these questions. But he mm -hmm. just answers them when yeah. they have questions, right? Like those kind of things communicate a lot of love, and I think for. I think for us, we can, love can almost become one of those kind of churchy Bible yeah, words. Mushy words, yeah. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, we should love people, but we get so far away from what it looks like to love people when, you know, we get cut off on the freeway or it's <laughs> taken a long time in the line at, mm -hmm. at Starbucks or whatever it is. Like any of those things, they can all of a sudden turn our, our day on a dime. Like what does it look like to actually go through a day with an emphasis, a new command, a new emphasis in our life to love people? Yeah. And for some, I think you're right. In some of our culture, I think love becomes this, this mushy tack on. It's not, it's not very deep. Mm. And because of that, it doesn't seem very valuable. Yeah. Because sentiments and good wishes or kind thoughts, that's different than biblical love. Yeah. And I think sometimes we provide, even people in our own life, um, emotion or maybe, you know, kind words or goodness. But that love which is sacrificial is missing. Yeah. And I think the other side, I think at times love requires hard words. Mm. And in the, like we did, you were talking about earlier today, in the upper room, Jesus didn't say, hey, you're betraying me. Go for it. You know, yeah. you're still great. I love you, man. No, he, he says, what are you going to do quickly? And, you know, this is, a, this is on you. Yeah. And he told Peter, no, you're not going to follow me forever. You're going to deny me. Yeah. In fact, not just once, but three times. So he love even calls people out because it doesn't act like something isn't wrong when there is something wrong. And Jesus refusing to live in a fantasy land with his disciples only emphasizes yeah. how deeply he loves them because he's keeping it straight with them about, you're about to betray me. And then Peter's got to think about like, oh, he knew that. And he knew that when he washed my feet. He knew that when he encouraged me. He knew that all of these times when I walked on water with him, he yeah. knew that, right? Like you go back through Peter's mind, like he's known that this is going to happen. Yeah. Yet he still loved me. He still well, showed up. And even in the midst, I love this walking on water story because I can imagine, you know, months after that, Jesus is recalling that saying, man, if you have faith, you can do so much, Peter. Yeah. And Peter's thinking, I walked on water. <laughs> He's like, I, Dude, did a, this, I did a lot already. <laughs> yeah, I did so much. You guys got nothing on me. And it's just funny because, you know, I think the Lord is working so much deeper than we see. Mm. He wants so much more for us, and he believes that we can have so much more if we really submit to that life of love that he modeled for us. But yeah. we settle for less. We settle for surface. We settle for easier. We settle for less con you know, conflict. And I think the result of that is we settle for a, a lesser version of what God intends. Yeah. I remember, I remember hearing a, a kind of almost reduction on how to love people that made it so simple for me because I think it was one of those things that I struggled with of like, okay, this is a, a biblical value that I have to love people, but I don't really know what it looks like 
to love people other than to smile at them. And that seems like that's not nearly what Jesus was getting at. And one of the um, kind of reductions that I heard was, man, to, to look at it as like, where are people's needs and how can I help fill them? Like, what can I that's do good. to step in and help and fill those needs? And then I thought like, man, that really is that really is love. You look at Jesus' example, right? Like what were our needs and how has he stepped in and filled them? Yeah. And John's gospel is all about how he filled them excessively, like yeah. in abundance. There was too much that he offered, too much that he gave. It was of higher quality or quantity than anything that was needed. But Jesus demonstrates a superior love in that he's showing up in all of these ways, meeting true needs, even the way that he answers the Pharisees' questions meets their true needs, not the question that they're asking, but it cuts deeper. And I thought, man, what a great, like, how can I be almost having spirit-filled eyes to say, Lord, show me the needs around me and um, sh and convict me of where I can help step in and fill some of those needs. And I think that's so true, Jackson. I feel like even in my own life, it's really difficult to be focused on the needs of others. Yeah. Maybe and it's our world today we're in now where we're looking in the mirror more than we're looking out the window. Yeah. And we just see the needs in us. And so when we only look at us, we're self-focused yeah. and very limited of what that reality is going to do in our life. But when we look out and see the needs of others, that's when God's love becomes more apparent. Yeah. And I do think sometimes we intentionally wear blinders so that we don't see the needs. Yeah. Or we're just so either busy or distracted, we can't pick up on the needs. And if we can't see the needs in others, yeah, our, our life of love will be very limited. Yeah. Because that's what God's called us to do is to, to reach out and serve his people. Yeah, it'll be so limited to convenience, right? Like when do I conveniently have opportunities to love people when love is going to be inconvenient 90% of the time? Yeah. It's going to take going out of the way. And so it starts with, man, I got to have an others focused view today at the beginning of yeah. the day. That's where I got to recenter on that. It's, it's you get a phone call and you see it and you're like, "Oh. Yeah. <laughs> do I really want to take this?" Yeah. Because you know what that phone call means. Yeah because you're aware of the need perhaps. Yeah. And in that moment, that's where you start, maybe the timing isn't right, I get it, but you really, what's my heart saying here? Yeah. Is it because I don't have the time or is it just, I don't want to meet the need? Yeah. And I know some, you know, you just, you sweat, <laughs> put it back it's in your pocket. Way too like, easy. And, and I think that's the life story is that we just swipe away needs. Yeah. Because we're not emotionally or mentally or, or even in time ways ready for that. Yeah. And I think, God would have us do a little more swiping right to answer the call. And, yeah. And, and how often do we go through life saying, if only more people could do these things for me, you could step in in these ways in my life. And we're only thinking about how other people could be more helpful to us. And never once pausing to say, how can I be more helpful to people that I work with? Yeah. How could I be more helpful to people in my own home? Like, how could I be more helpful to my neighbors? Yeah. I don't think that question, that's not a natural question. That's a kingdom question. Like mm -hmm. that comes from a transformed mind, heart, priorities. And it takes some intentionality to ask it. And it's always in balance. Yeah. I mean, just two chapters before, chapter and a half before this, you have Mary and Martha. Yeah. And you have Martha serving. Yeah. She's meeting real needs. She's dialed into her, I mean, just killing it. She's just great at what she's doing, caring for the people. Mary is deeply in love with Christ yeah. and knows that need in her own life. And there's this world that we live with, both of those, like, man, I need to be Mary yeah. in spending time with Christ so that I can grow my love. And I need to be Martha looking at needs around me and finding the great balance is tough. Yeah, yeah.
No, that's good. Kurt, thanks for being on. Fun conversation yeah. and fun to get to kind of chop up this. I'm just excited for the rest of the series continuing in this what matters most uh, section of scripture. It's just going to be really good. So Love it. hope you had a, a good tangible takeaway. As always, you could let us know if you've got a tangible takeaway from this weekend's message in the chat. Uh, but with that said, we'll catch you guys next week on Tangible Takeaways. Hey, welcome to episode, oh, dang it. Mm -hmm.